a lot of pictures there, man. <laughs> Usually like one or two per testimony candidate. I was like, kind of like seven. <laughs> oh, we thank God for you, Carol. We thank God for uh, your friend that shared the gospel to you and didn't quit sharing the gospel until God called you to the Holy Spirit and saved you. Thank God how God brought you to our church and to understand truth. Amazing, isn't it, how we study the Bible and our lives make sense. We understand all the hurts, all the pains, sorrows, the joys of life through Scripture, through the lens of Scripture. We understand um, we have insight, we have wisdom. It comes together and we, it results in just gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Well, praise God for you, Carol. And as you pray, we'll be praying for your sister Grace that she will understand what the meaning of grace, understand undeserved merit, and will be a possessor of eternal life one day. And uh, we look forward to many years of labor with you. And concerning that fear of man prayer, I don't know if that's necessary because you're a very brave woman for saying yes to men. So <laughs> maybe, maybe you still need more prayer in that area. I don't know. Uh, we love men. We're, we're, we're so uh, we're full of joy at uh, your engagement and your marriage to come. Uh, we thank God for, for him and um, your union. Well, in church ministry, we have um, you know, many decisions that come our way as uh, elders and as pastors. That's one of the challenges of ministry, just making decision after decision. And some are major decisions, some are minor. Some are insignificant decisions and some are significant decisions. Some are very easy decisions. Others are quite difficult the major decisions and the difficult decisions that face us in the church is largely deals with leadership, largely deals with um, setting apart leaders, recognizing leaders, equipping, training, and entrusting leaders for the work of the ministry. Well, as you well know, um, Joe and Elaine are headed off to the Czech Republic in three weeks, countdown, 21 days and counting. And as you well know, he's a leader of Fulton Flock, been doing an excellent job there for over six months. And the members of Fulton Flock will testify to um, Pastor Joe and his wife's just their, their love for the brethren, how they lay their lives down for the flock. They have really the genuine interest of Christ, no agenda, seeking to serve the flock there, love the members. And it's verified not just by their speech, but by their lives. So as you all know, Joe is leaving. Who is going to take over for Fullerton Flock? That has been an issue that's been on our hearts for six months, mulling over uh, various ways to uh, meet this need. We thought about even forming Fullerton Flock and joining Fullerton Flock to another flock. But what we need is another flock. We can't join two flocks together, the, uh, the size of each that flock would be too great. We mold over many things, and one of our core values as a church is to entrust those in the front lines with the work of the ministry and the decisions of ministry. The elders of this church, we're not micromanagers. We're not, we're not the hub where everything runs through us. We don't want control. We want to trust the shepherds, the pastors, the ministry leaders to make Frontline decisions, and our job is to pray and to support 
and you know give advice and counsel to avoid any major catastrophes right clear cut wrong apart from clearly wrong decisions our job is to pray support and uh, give advice and wisdom so in line with that core value we went to pastor joe uh, months ago and we said joe we want you to pray and consider who you would entrust uh, your beloved flock to who you would consider as someone worthy of trust, worthy in terms of godliness, character, and spiritual abilities that you can entrust this flock to. And then we met about two months, a month or two later, and we gave them a list of names. I mean, just, you know, many names and said, Joe, who do you think? Who would you put at the top of your list? And he put Mr. Eugene Kim, right? And uh, he said, I work with Eugene for over... You know, many years, oh, seven, ten years, know his heart, know his abilities, know his strengths and weaknesses, but I know his heart, and I, I would joyfully entrust um, the brothers and sisters of Fulton Flock to his care. And uh, the elders prayed and talked about it, and there was unity with the elders. And there was um, conference with the pastors of our church, Marcus, Jason, and Joe, and they agreed, and we shared it with the flock shepherds, and there is a full-hearted affirmation of um, Eugene, his conduct, character, his giftedness, his uh, love for Christ, love for the church, where we have decided to affirm him as the next uh, shepherd over Fullerton flock. We do this with great joy, we do this with great confidence, knowing that his adequacy is not in himself. His competency is not in his intellect or his Zenga humor or anything of that sort. His confidence is purely in Christ. His adequacy is in the gospel of Christ. He will stand behind the word and with the power of the Holy Spirit, he will carry out that ministry um, uh, with great effectiveness. Our only concern, you know, I'll just mention this just to be honest. Our only concern was he's a single man ministering to couples and ministering to families with children. How would that uh, play out in terms of his effectiveness? But we have, um, we have a good uh, pre- precedent here, a good example in our church with uh, Huey Dang. He was a single man, and he ministered to married couples with uh, great ability, great effectiveness. And that helped him to get married, by the way, two months into marriage now. So that's our, like, modus operandi, you know. <laughs> Get these single guys. No, I'm just kidding, but Huey did a great job. The Word of God is sufficient for, for life and godliness, right? I've never, you know, uh, I've, I've never sinned in some ways. I was going to say, you know, I, I smoked and stuff, but, okay, let's say I never smoked. I could counsel someone addicted to smoking uh, if I never had. Because, not because I smoked or not, but because the word of God is sufficient. Does that make sense? It's scripture that counsels, shepherds, convicts, sanctifies, builds up a believer. Not our experience. It's helpful. doesn't hurt. But the word of God is sufficient. So with that, uh, we, we joyfully and confidently appoint him as the flock shepherd. For the flock, we know that your heart is with the Lord. And um, that you will joyfully submit to his leadership pray for him, honor him, and mold him to be a godly shepherd. I mean, it takes, 
You know, when I started out as a pastor, man, like I made so many mistakes, I made so many weaknesses, so many character flaws. Cornerstone helped me to be a better pastor. Bob will testify too. Cornerstone helped him be a better man, better elder. It's the job of the church to help us be better servants of Christ, better ministers. So it's Fullerton Flock's job to make Eugene a better man, a better Christian, and a better shepherd. And we are confident that you will do an excellent job as well. Well, it's been a tremendous weekend for, here, for us at Cornerstone yesterday from 7 in the morning till maybe 12.30 in the afternoon. We had our um, Cornerstone Inquisition of Elder Bob Hahn, where we spent three hours grilling him on his knowledge of the Bible. And you'll get a glimpse of that in the second hour, his knowledge of just the scriptures. Like We started out with the books of the Bible. And I was thinking, as he was answering, I was going to the books of the Bible, and I got stuck in the Minor Prophets. But praise God, Bob didn't get stuck. He was able to go through the whole books of the Bible, asked about theme outline, key chapters, key passages, um, key characters of the books of the Old and New Testament. 50-55 minutes uh, on that. Grilled him for 50-55 minutes on systematic theology, all the way from the importance of doctrine, theology proper, soteriology, Christology, pneumatology, bibliology, ecclesiology, all the way to eschatology, just probing his heart to his orthodoxy and doctrine, that he is he has sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, to his understanding, to his insight, and to his grasp of these theological disciplines. And he did a great job. And then we spent over an hour just grilling him in on practical theology. Really, um, not just regurgitating Bible knowledge, not just you know, recounting what he memorized about systematic theology, but synthesizing these uh, disciplines so that he, it would flush out in practical ministry. So Ken Johnson has been an elder for 30 years. Flew down from Spokane, Washington, to sit in the council uh, with us, and so can just real life experiences as an elder, counseling situations, the challenges of, of shepherding that he's encountered, and um, presented to Bob, and and I, I laid out test cases and situations to Bob, and he was able to, with God's help, just eloquently, faithfully. Um, 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 answer questions in the practical ministries section. Ken and I really believe that's where he really did a great job. His maturity as a, as a godly man, as a, as a husband for over 10 years, father of three children, a ministry for over 10, 20 years, really showed his um, patience, gentleness, wisdom, also just his convictions in the Word of God. That really came forth. And so with, there was a resounding unity, affirmation, on the part of, of Elder Ken and myself, as the godly men of this generation, we have been appointed to the task of recognizing, affirming, and ordaining future godly men, future leaders of the church. And with that authority in Christ, we joyfully affirm and ordain Bob, along with all of our elder, um, pastors and flock shepherds. The, just a tremendous time of, of, of joyful, uh, uh, just... Re- celebrating God's work in a man's heart, calling him to salvation and calling him to the work and the position of elder in our church. During the second hour, we'll kind of go through that to give you a glimpse of what took place. And it wasn't just this weekend, but really the process that's been going on for ever since the birth of Cornerstone. For seven years, he's been functioning as an elder, and you'll see the fruits of his private and public labor uh, in the, and during the second hour. 
And so with that, my heart's been on the issue of eldership, issue of leadership in the church. And so in light of this Lord's Day, I want to present to you five truths about the call to biblical eldership. Five truths about the call to biblical eldership. And of course, our study will be based on 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. You know, by God's grace, um, people have heard about our church, maybe new visitors that come to our body. <clears throat> Even some of you asked this question, uh, asked me this question. Pastor James, what is the reason for our growth at Cornerstone? What is the reason for our maturity, the health, the stability, just the blessedness of the body at Cornerstone? Um, there are many churches that are not doing so well. What sets Cornerstone apart? Now, if you were asked that question, how would you answer? Would you answer, well, the reason for our growth is our website. Man, our website's just great. You know, it's updated constantly. I get that everywhere I go. People hear about Cornerstone. The first thing they say is not like sermons or whatever. It's, your website is really good. Can I get, you know, contact with your web administrator and maybe hire him for a, for a job or something? Is it our website or is some, a program we had? Is it some method that we employ in our church? What is the reason for our growth? No, my answer, and I believe this with all my heart, the main reason for the blessedness of our church is the quality of our leaders. The quality of our leaders. I'm convinced that God has blessed us primarily because, and God's way of blessing has been, through our biblical leadership. The plurality of our godly leaders is the major reason for our blessedness. I consider the men that I serve with second to none. All of us together play a vital role in the health of our church and the effectiveness of our ministry. Those who are called to full-time ministry and the majority of you, lay men and women who serve with us. That's the main reason for our blessedness. The elder team, the intern pastors, the flock shepherds, small group leaders, all the leaders and all the servants who lead in our ministries. These men and women are the reason for the health, stability, and growth of our church. And in my prayers, my prayers are for the leaders of our body. Because I know that so much rides on our leadership. Pastor MacArthur said this, A church can survive anything except failure in leadership. A church can survive anything except failure in leadership. Right? Wrong doctrine, immorality in the camp, financial crises, even division in the church. A church can survive and even thrive through such trials. But when there's failure among the leaders, when there's failure among the elders or pastors, it's a severe and direct threat the survival of that very church. I've seen this again and again, firsthand, churches and ministries devastated and destroyed, fall apart all because of poor leaders. Poor leaders. So true. I mean, leadership is everything, right? Whatever organization, whatever group, 
whatever corporation, even the armed forces, even a basketball team, a sports team, leadership is everything. And it is all the more true in ministry of the church. There is a direct correlation between the competence and character of the elders of a local church and the local church's health and effectiveness. There is an inseparable link between the character of a church and the quality of its leaders. Hosea 4.9 Like people, like priests. People are that way because of our leaders, the priests. You know, I go around and you know, I have the opportunity to fellowship with a lot of pastors and a lot of uh, ministers in the church and you know, we I hear a lot of people complain about their people, complain about their church, that, that they're not committed, that they're not faithful, that they aren't serving, that their people are not serious about the word, that they're com- they are complacent. Well, we, we face that here at Cornerstone. But my complaint is not divorced from myself. I understand like people, like priests. And that's the heartache of ministry. That I see my failures walking around here at church, you know, every Sunday. If there is complacency in the body, it's because of me. If there is a lack of commitment or lack of seriousness about God's Word, if there is a lack of holiness, a vibrancy in our body, if there is disunity in the church, really, it's because of me. It's me. It's not the church. It's not something's wrong with you. The truth is something's wrong with me. I mean, that's the truth. If there is an issue with your wife, husbands, can you say that? It's not my wife. It's not something's wrong with her. It's me. If there's issues with your children, can you say that about yourself? It's not our children. It's us. It's me as a mom. It's me as a dad. If you have relational issues at work, with relatives, with others, right? Uh, you know that old, uh, you know that that uh, humorous uh, poster that was sent. That was, that's out there. The common thread among all your disappointing relationships is you, right? So can you handle that truth? If you have people constantly disappoint you and you blame others for your difficulty inter- interactions, can you say it's me? It's not everybody. The world is wrong. It's it's you. Well. In the church, like people, like priests, the reproduction principle, you reproduce yourself. Um, the problems in the church are due to this very le- reason. Poor leadership. Poor leadership. That's why leadership is so important. That's why the spiritual warfare, the work of the gospel ministry, the work of building up of the church is not really in the church. It really begins with the elders' hearts begins with my heart, Bob's heart, all the pastors, begins in your heart. Can you grow? Can you overcome your weaknesses, your fears, your doubts and anxieties, your flesh, your selfishness, all the flock shepherds? It begins with the leaders top down and to the rest of the body. But what has happened 
instead of raising the standards for leaders in light of this, in light of the importance of leadership, the pivotal nature of leaders in the church, you would think the church would respond by saying, you know what, we can't have high enough standards for our leaders. We need to be all the more adamant about the qualifications of First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. The church, instead of responding in that way, the church by and large responded by lowering the standards for leadership. I mean, the church is captive to, to almost a non-existent level or low level of leadership. Or they'll accept anyone and anybody, any warm body to serve and lead in the church. The church has been far too lenient in standards. Our response must be not just high standards, our response must be reformation. We need to reform biblical leadership. We need to reform biblical eldership. We must go back to the scriptures. We must look at the Bible and look at God's standards, God's requirements, and God's qualifications. And we find that in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and... Paul's letter to Titus 1, 6 through 9. Titus 1, 6 through 9. So, you know, I don't have time. I just don't. Maybe after the Gospel of John, we'll go through these 15 qualifications one by one. Maybe spend, you know, one sermon on each qualification. We'll do that. A 15 sermon series. We might. I'm not promising anything. But we might do this in a future time. But because of our time constraints... Just have time for verse, verse 1. Time for verse 1. Five truths about the call to eldership. Biblical eldership. Five truths. First of all, it is a compelling call. It is a compelling call. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. If anyone aspires, that word, Aspiration. Orogatai in the Greek. It means to stretch out, reach out outwardly. The picture is of a runner lunging forward as he or she crosses the finish line. It is passionate compulsion. It is intense desire boiling over. It means that this man is compelled to the call, to the office of elder. He's not just dabbling in it. You know, it's not a, a hobby for him. It's not a casual involvement. Something he just does on Sunday. You know, it just says something that is part of his life. No, when, when, when God calls a man to the office of elder, it boils over in his heart. And it becomes his singular passion in life. Life-consuming desire to the office and work of the overseer. He has a godly aspiration. A God-centered, God-prompted desire for the service and for the office. So in a sense, the first qualification, you could argue that there are not 15 qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, but there are 16. That the first qualification is that he desires it with all his heart, soul, and mind. 
He says no to certain things in life because he has said yes to this one thing. Right, this kind of aspiration is, is really rare, even among Christians. It is rare. I was reading weeks ago, uh, Tex Winter evaluating the Lakers of playoff series with the Phoenix Suns. And he assigned largely the blame of, of our loss, I take it personally, of our loss, <laughs> to Kwame Brown. Alright? Kwame Brown. Right? <laughs> this is what Tex Winter, I mean, this guy, you know, someone said he's so, you know, he's an aged, you know, coach. He didn't invent the triangle uh, offense. He invented the triangle itself. I mean, that's how long he's been around. But this is what Tex Winter said about Kwame Brown. He's simply not a competitor. He has strange bouts of apathy. He just doesn't know how to compete. I don't know if he's interested in playing basketball. Kevin Ding, OC Register columnist said, he is the one player in all of NBA where he is not eager to play. He doesn't want to get off the bench. He's, he's content on the bench. And you know what? That's true. You know, not all NBA players love basketball. It's just they were born tall, right? <laughs> they, were, they were born with physical gifts. They could jump and they could shoot the ball, but they don't have this epithemia for basketball. Well, a good ball player has to not just be able to play, but love to play, desire to be passionate about the sport. Well, likewise, another in the church. It's not just that he's, you know, a good communicator. You know, he loves books. Man, he loves books. He loves the Bible. He loves doctrine. Right? Man, he's experienced. No, those things are great. Those things are necessary. But before all of this, if he doesn't have this personal, intense, God-centered desire, all of that is really worthless. All of that is just secondary to this central quality. Paul says, if anyone aspires to this, passionately pursues, then it is a noble thing. We need to note that it is not a self-willed pursuit not driven by pride, not driven by being glory hungry. It's not driven by ego. It is a, a reluctant yet passionate pursuit, a humble yet lowly pursuit. It's a pursuit knowing the cost, knowing the sacrifice, knowing the gravity, knowing how difficult it is to serve as an elder in a church. And I'll tell you, it is difficult. I mean, just putting yourself out there. You're opening yourself up to scrutiny. You're saying, this is my life. Here's my family. Here's my wife. Here's my children. This is my, our decisions that I've made. You know, criticize away. You know, scrutinize away. And I'll make decisions. And we're all, you know, have sin in our flesh. We're all prone to grumbling, complaining, having our own opinions. And you still need to make tough decisions. You sacrifice and suffer. You put others first. And you have to care. You, 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 know, you have to care for others' souls. I mean, that's, that's so hard. That's so, um, it cuts away at our, at our pride, at our self-centeredness. It makes it so difficult. It causes us to confront our own sinfulness. Yet knowing all of these things, all of the price and sacrifice, the cost it, it, that entails, he pursues. 
He passionately pursues this call. He does not, does not pursue the office, but he pursues the work. He pursues the service. He pursues the characters. Oswald Sanders, in his classic book on leadership entitled Spiritual Leadership, has an important note in this regard. The true spiritual leader is concerned infinitely more with the service he can render to God and his fellow man rather than the benefits and pleasures he can extract from life. The greatest need is not for leaders, but for servants. Unless that is held in the foreground of our thinking, the whole idea of leadership and leadership training becomes dangerous. Samuel Logan Brengle wrote, Spiritual leadership is not won by promotion, but by many prayers and tears. It is attained by confessions of sin, much heart searchings and humbling before God, by self-surrender, a courageous sacrifice of every idol, a bold, deathless, uncompromising, and uncomplaining embracing of the cross, and by an eternal, unfaltering looking onto Jesus crucified. It is not gained by seeking great things for ourselves, but rather, like Paul, by cutting those things that are gained for us as lost for Christ. That is a great price, but it must be unflinchingly paid by him who would not be merely a nominal but a real spiritual leader of men. A leader whose power is recognized and felt in heaven, on earth, and in hell. He is compelled to this call, compelled to serve, compelled to put himself in the front, because he wants to lay himself down for the benefit of the church. So that's the first truth. This man has to have that unique desire, an all-consuming, passionate desire that is not self-willed, not ego-driven. At the same time, he's passionate about the service and the character and the qualities of the office, not the title itself. It's a compelling call. Secondly, it is an important call. It is an important call. Verse 1, Paul uh, prefaces this statement by, prefaces it by saying, it is a trustworthy statement. A trustworthy statement. An important statement. He has said this phrase five times in the pastoral epistles. And Paul says it here in three Verse 1, this statement is important. This, this statement is faithful, is trustworthy. In the eyes of God, it is an important call. Let's move on to the third one. It is a responsible call. Responsible call. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, the Greek word there is episkopos, Overseer is an elder and is a pastor. The term means a watcher, protector. Philo defined this term as an overseer, guardian over souls. The one who knows souls. Shepherd and guardian of souls. Acts 20, 28. Peter 
exhorted the shepherds, the, the elders, the overseers. And he said in 1 Peter 5, 2, oh, Acts 20, 20, excuse me, Paul exhorted the Ephesian elders, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Holy Spirit has made you episcopos to shepherd the church of God. First Peter 5.2 Peter exhorted fellow shepherds, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, exercising your authority and leadership as an overseer. It's a grave responsibility. Shepherding a flock, shepherding a church is not simple. The standards are high. Requirements hard to satisfy. You know, Paul continued in Acts 20, 28, shepherd the flock, the flock of God which Christ purchased with His own blood. Elders, do you see, he's saying, how precious the church is to Christ. He didn't buy the church with, with silver or gold. He didn't inherit it from someone else. No, He gave His life to redeem, to purchase the flock. And He has entrusted this church over to you for you to shepherd and guard and protect this flock. That's the gravity of the work given to overseers where they are to preach and teach. Pray for the sick, James 5.14. Give care for the church, 1 Peter 5.1 and 2. Be examples for the church to follow, 1 Peter 5, Hebrews 13. And they are to ordain, set apart and ordain other leaders, 1 Timothy 4.14. The standards are high, the responsibility grave. Therefore, spiritual shepherding demands a godly, gifted, multi-skilled man of integrity all along maintaining a humble perspective. You know, maintaining a demeanor of a shepherd boy. I, that's, I, you know, the, the title that I identify with most is pastor. I'm not, you know, reverend. You know, don't call me your holiness, you know. <laughs> I don't identify with that, your holiness. No one's ever called me that. But I identify with pastor, shepherd, because it's blue-collar work. It's lowly service. It's not a title of esteem or held in high regard. That's, that's Christ's self-identity. I'm the Colossus Shepherd, John 10. And that's the identity I want to have. It's a lowly, uh, lowly servant caring for sheep, spiritual sheep. So the, the title is lowly, but the work is grave and at times overwhelming. I am not overwhelmed. I mean, I, I, at times I'm really overwhelmed by uh, my responsibility at home. You know, with a growing family of four children now, I'm not overwhelmed. It's difficult. It's taxing. It's grueling. Right? You know, my other roles that I played in the, in the world, you know, working in the world or being a student, but I'm overwhelmed day in and day out by the responsibility an elder as a pastor. And Bob senses that as well. All the flock shepherds, pastors as well. Because it is a responsible call. Fourthly, 
It's a compelling call, important call, responsible call. Fourthly, it is a worthy call. Worthy call. It is worth, worthy of your life. Worthy of your sacrifice. Whatever price you pay, it is worth it. To be an elder in a church, and also to be a servant, minister in a church, is worth it. Do we realize that every one of you is pursuing a call in life? You're all pursuing. It's not like, oh, you guys are pursuing eldership, and we're not. No, everybody's pursuing something. The question is, is it worth your life? At the end of your life, would you look back and say, wow, I'm glad I paid that price. I'm glad I ran that race. I'm glad I, I sacrificed for that because it was worth it. Or would you look back and regret what you were pursuing? You know, I read this uh, a few weeks ago, and I knew right away it was a Korean guy. Right? I knew right away. Well, again, Koreans, two weeks in a row, I'm sorry. A uh, 28-year-old man died of exhaustion in an internet cafe after playing computer games nonstop for 48 hours. Right? Mr. Lee, right, a resident of Tegu, was playing StarCraft. He was far from his job because he missed so many days because he was playing this video game. So he sat down one day and played for 49 hours nonstop. He died of a heart attack. So he pursued a high score in StarCraft. He pursued something. I would say I was not a worthy pursuit in life. To give your life for a high score in a video game. That's sad. But Apostle Paul says, anyone who pursues the office of the elder, overseer, and really anyone who pursues these qualities and ministry in the church, it is a noble task. A good task. And it's not agathos, like objective good. It is kalas. That word beautiful. Right? Subjective beauty. A fine, noble, honorable work. It is a most worthy and glorious calling in life. John Wycliffe, 14th century form, wrote, The highest service that men may attain to on earth is to preach the word of God. 17th century Puritan pastor Cotton Mather agreed, the office of the Christian ministry, rightly understood, is the most honorable and important that any man in the whole world can ever sustain. And I'm not saying being a full-time pastor is more important than what you do as a housewife, or what you do at your corporation, or what you do as a teacher, because Bob is a layman, right? 40, 50 hours a week. I don't exactly know what he does, but he's a CEO of some company and, you know, orders people around and fires people. <laughs> right? What you do at work is important. It glorifies God. But as a layman, your greater aspiration is just beyond doing your occupation at work. There's a vocation given to you to serve in the church, minister in the church. And for, for Bob, his vocation is call of eldership. So not just for him, but for all of you, if you respond to that call, whether it be ministry in children's ministry, or ministering and welcoming, or VBS, or missions, or being an elder, you fulfill that. It is an honorable, worthy call. Finally, it's a demanding call. It's a demanding call. Paul rightly calls ministry work. It is work. It is a demanding occupation. 
Warren Wiersbe wrote, The work of the ministry is so demanding that no man should enter into it lightly. Urban Luther says of ministry, I don't see how anyone could survive in the ministry if he felt it was just his own choice. Most ministers scarcely have two good days back to back. They are sustained by the knowledge that God has placed them where they are. Ministers without, a, without such a conviction often lack courage and carry their resignation letter in their coat pocket. At the slightest hint of difficulty, they are gone. It's not easy. It is war. It is war. So our seminary professors just tell us, if you can be happy doing anything else in life, avoid ministry at all costs. If you can be happy not leading, serving, teaching, preaching, guiding, discipling, pursue something else. If you're not spiritually mature, not embodying integrity and godliness in life for the sake of the church, don't enter into ministry. And if you are lacking in the sanctification of your own soul, don't enter it. But if you can't be, can't have joy doing anything except serving God in His church, if you have that humble compulsion, desire, affirmed by others, and you're stretching yourself to serve in the body, and if you are progressing in your maturity, the qualities, characteristics outlined in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, then pursue it with all your heart. All your heart. We rejoice this day to see God's call upon a man lived out, bearing fruit by his passionate desire to the office of elder. We see it by his character. We see it by his convictions, by his decisions. We see it by his heart and life. So we truly thank God. Elder Ken will talk to you briefly about the responsibilities of the body in relating to the elders. But just give you uh, five closing thoughts in light of our five truths about the call to eldership. First one to everyone here, what are you pursuing? What are you passionate about? What consumes your thoughts, your hearts? What do you dream about? What, are, what is your goal, single goal in life? And ask yourself, at the end of my life, would I be content? Can I give glory to God for this? Will I rejoice? Or will I have this, uh, you know, just global regret, just wholehearted regret that I ran in vain. I beat the air. What was my life about? Right? You know, we have many responsibilities, many joyful responsibilities as workers, as husbands, as moms, as siblings, as friends, as ministers. But what is your overriding pursuit in life? Is it to glorify Christ and to serve in the church and minister the gospel and to be a useful instrument in the hands of our Savior? You know, that's, um, I would say, speaking for Bob, that's Bob's heart. You know, he works hard. You know, he's, you know, his, his, his uh, the CEO of the company is so impressed by him, giving him more responsibilities. But his desire is not to climb the corporate ladder. His joy is not, 
the perks and privileges that come with working in the corporate environment, his hard passion, his glorifying Christ and serving him in the local church. What an example for all the lay people, for all of you lady. I can't be an example. I'm an example maybe to the three or four pastors, five seminarians here. The rest of you, you ought to look at, at Elder Bob. And it goes to our second response, is to imitate his faith. That is Hebrews 13. Observe the elders, observe the outcome of their lives, and imitate their faith, imitate their decisions. I mean, if you're seeking counsel about life decisions, you should come to Cornerstone Elders and Cornerstone Flock Shepherds and Cornerstone Small Group Leaders. No reason to go outside the body for counsel or instruction or example. Right? I, mean, I understand John MacArthur is a great pastor, right? but he is not an elder at Cornerstone Bible Church. He just is not. He doesn't know you. He's not your shepherd. Right? R.C. Sproul, John Piper, great, great men. But they are not your shepherds. You, we are, your first imitation, your first heart inclination must be to your elders, to your flock shepherds, to your small group leaders. Imitate their way of life. Thirdly, honor them. Honor them. Give them esteem. You know, appreciate them. Hold them in high regard. Respect them. In your hearts, in your attitude, in your conduct. Respect and esteem them. Fourthly, submit to their leadership. Submit to their decisions. Knowing that, you know, I'm, I'm all about accountability. I'm not above questioning. I'm not above accountability. But you have to trust us that my accountability comes with Bob. And that I, my accountability comes with the pastors, like Jason, Marcus, and, and Joe, and the flock shepherds. And I'm accountable to them. The elders are accountable to them, and they're accountable to us. We can't be accountable to the church. We can't take a poll and say, what do you guys want to do? And follow the majority. Because then it's backwards. If the elders submit to you, then the members are leading the elders, right? It's like, I don't follow Elizabeth. I don't get a poll, Elizabeth, and I know, what do you guys want to do? Because then children are leading the parents. I don't ask Sarin and follow her. I don't have fear of my wife, but I follow her. Because then everything's backwards. I need to be a humble servant, yet I lead my wife. We lead our children, and as elders, it is our responsibility to lead the church, and we are accountable to one another, and one day we'll give an account to God. With holy fear, with great sense of just humility, we'll stand before God and give an account for every single soul here at Cornerstone and every single decision that we've ever made. That is our accountability. Your responsibility to us is to honor and submit to our decisions, submit to our way of life. And you know what submission means? It means following when you don't want to. Following when you don't agree with the decision, right? Ah, you know that's a whole other sermon, but we deal with that with Elizabeth all the time. If she submits to me only when she feels like it, only when she wants to, that's not submission. She's following her own heart. 
She's leading herself. Submission is Elizabeth doesn't want to sit back there and listen to daddy preaching, you know. <laughs> but submission is when she doesn't want to, she does that. Right? Likewise with the church. Knowing your elders, knowing our hearts, knowing our godliness, our integrity, knowing the life that we lead open to all of you, knowing our doctrine, you submit to us. And finally, yes, we are far from maturity, far from godliness. We have many areas to grow, grow in. Your final responsibility to us is to pray for us. And when's the last time you prayed for me? And if you haven't in, in over a month, man, repent, right? <laughs> when's the last time you prayed for Bob? Right. When's the last time you prayed for your flock shepherd, remembering him, his family, right? for your small group leaders? Right. You know, I believe you're receiving great quality of ministry, teaching, shepherding, follow-up and care, discipleship. Reci- reciprocate that by, by these things. Above all, praying for us. Let him let's pray together. O Holy Father, full of grace, mercy, and love, righteous and sovereign in all your ways, we Rejoice at the gifts that you have given to your church. You have promised that the gates of Hades will not overcome her, that you will build her church on the rock of Christ, the testimony of Peter, that you are the Son of God, the Christ sent to save uh, your people. And Lord, you build your church through uh, your word implanted in leaders, the leaders taking that word and proclaiming it with all their hearts living it out as examples and um, caring for the fold, caring for the flock personally, intimately, and sacrificially. Oh Lord, we thank you for the godly leaders that have come before us and we stand on their shoulders and we uh, endeavor, having been passed the baton of such devotion, we endeavor to be faithful in our leg of the race so that we might pass it on faithfully to the next generation of leaders that are to come. Oh Lord, we thank you for this holy calling, and we pray, oh God, that um, you continue to raise up mighty men and women of God here in our church, so that this torch will burn brightly until the day of your return. We, uh, we thank you and we give you all the glory all the praise and the honor for all the things that you're doing in our body and we give you praise for the truth that you've taught us this day. In Jesus' name we pray.